0: But also, if you use the code SOUTHERN20, you get to save even more on this special pricing for right now at VortexOptics.com. Again, check out the new eyewear from VortexOptics.com and use the promo code SOUTHERN20 to save on their brand new eyewear.
1: Hey, everybody. This is Kyle V, host of the Ozark Podcast. If you like the Southern Outdoorsman Podcast, we have a show for you. We sit down with local outdoorsmen of Arkansas, Missouri, and Oklahoma to talk all things hunting, fishing, conservation, history, and culture in the Ozark Mountains region. Just like the outdoorsmen who live here, we follow the seasons and interview regional experts to discuss the pursuits of hunting turkeys, bears, and whitetail, as well as the science behind their conservation. Join me and my co-host Kyle Plunkett every Wednesday, and make sure you subscribe so you don't miss an episode. You're listening to the Southern Outdoorsman Podcast. Make sure you like and subscribe
0: to the podcast. You can check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. If you'd like to support the show, you can go to patreon.com forward slash the southern outdoorsman. Now let's get to the episode.
1: Presented by Hunting Exchange, a marketplace for serious hunters by serious hunters.
0: Welcome back, everybody, to another Southern Outdoorsman Listener Success Story episode. Super excited for this one. Like all of them, I'll be honest, I love talking to uh, some of these listeners who's had success uh, using tips and tactics from different guests on the podcast. Uh, But this week, we get Ben Price coming in from Alabama, who killed this an absolute awesome freaking uh, six-point on some public land here in Alabama and had also, seems like a pretty good season, which we're going to talk about uh, throughout this episode, but Ben uh, to kind of kick us off, can you talk a little bit about, you know, how long have you been a listener of the podcast and what caused you to start listening to the show?
2: Yeah, so about three years ago, maybe four years ago, I just moved up here uh, from South Louisiana and I hunted public land there all my life. So I actually when I moved up here. I found the two or three closest public land areas uh, to hunt up here. And didn't have much luck starting out, and I ended up finding some Facebook groups that that, uh, had these WMAs or public land areas on there, and Michael Perry had actually shared a podcast from you guys, I think it was episode 139, uh, back in 2019, that's how I heard about y'all, and once I listened to that episode, I pretty much listened to every episode since.
0: Awesome, dude, very cool. Yeah, you know, Michael Perry's uh, one of our favorites, I mean, he's a good buddy of ours, and hunted eye with him. He's a, he's a great dude. So that, that's awesome that that was kind of the, the change for you and kind of how you found the show, which brings up a question, you know, previously before listening to our show, did you like have any experience listening to any other podcast, not even hunting related shows, but just did you, were you a podcast listener before you started listening to our show?
2: Not really. Um, I listen to maybe an occasional one here and there, but nothing like I do. I mean, I listen to y'all probably two or three times a week now. I've kind of branched out too and listened to some other podcasts um, now that I started listening to you guys.
0: Awesome. Very cool. Very, very, very cool. Well, then I want to kind of get into this story because it seems like, uh, you know, we were talking a little bit before we got on the got on the recording here, but it seems like you've had a pretty crazy season, uh, which we're going to talk about a little bit later on this episode. But I'm curious in knowing a little bit more about you and your story. You mentioned earlier, just uh, again a few minutes ago, that you had you know moved up here a few years ago from you know South Louisiana, and uh, you know picked up the podcast from Michael Perry, sharing it on uh, one of the pages, the Facebook groups. But what has been your transition like once you got up here, and and how has the podcast maybe played a factor for you on some of those specific episodes?
2: So coming from Louisiana, uh, it was just real swampy, flat, just open woods. And, uh, it's almost the exact opposite of what I moved into up here, which is really steep and hilly terrain. So there's a huge learning curve there. I'm still, I'm still learning even now, just trying to figure out like some of the terms y'all were using when I first started listening to podcasts, like saddles, thermal hubs, bluff caps. I was like, like, what in the world are they talking about? Even, even thermals hunting in Louisiana, you don't, I mean, I never even heard of thermals until I moved up here. We just always played our wind and hunted. So that was a huge learning curve. There's kind of terrain features up here and, and just hunting ridges, really.
0: So that was all factors. Again, I guess it's – that would be like, uh, you know, one of us uh, central Alabama guys or anywhere from the state of Alabama other than, like, being down the Delta off the Alabama River moving down there to the southern Louisiana. Again, that would be – I wouldn't know what to do <laughs> down there in some of that stuff. I mean, yeah, oh, i yeah. talked to guys that have been successful, but it's, uh, it's night and day. Uh, real quick, before, I want to get more into this conversation, but by any chance, did you listen to that episode we did with uh, Kyler uh, Moppert from Louisiana Bowhunter Podcast? Was it, uh,
2: was it from last week? Uh,
0: I, think, uh, I think it was a couple, um, couple of weeks ago, talking about hunting Louisiana and Mississippi down the Delta.
2: Um, was it the um, Creative Access?
0: Yes, Creative Access with uh, Kyler I Moppert. I
2: actually, I actually hunted some of the public land he mentioned in that podcast when I, when I lived in Louisiana.
0: Well, see, you know he's the kind of guy I've seen. You know, I follow along with him and been friends with him for a few years. And uh, you know, like mm-hmm. we said in the episode, you know, he's sending me videos of hunting. You know, things I would never imagine hunting, like flooded timber for deer and, and catching bucks slipping through there during the rut, um, and oh, yeah. and even later into the season. It's just uh, it's interesting. Again, and that's the cool thing about I think being in the southeast, which I think you can get more appreciation for for uh, you know living in two different areas with completely different habitats uh, and terrain is. You know, it's a wide range of different, you know, habitats you can hunt down here in the southeast by only going, you know, sometimes less than just a couple hundred miles. Um, So I want to talk a little bit more about that kind of journey for you. So you moved up here a few years back, you know, I think it was like three years or so ago and uh, started hunting up here. For you, when you first moved here, what was some of the the biggest struggles you were dealing with? And and also just while answering that, were you hunting mostly like did you have a lease or in a hunting club or were you hunting mostly public land when you moved up here?
2: um i've actually never i think maybe i've been a part of one hunt club and i was i was maybe five or six years old other than that it's always been strictly public land that i hunt and uh probably the biggest struggle when i first moved up here was not necessarily the ridges because at first i got kind of excited i was like oh man we got ridges big woods you know oak trees just i figured i thought going to the woods i thought there was just gonna be deer everywhere and first season i couldn't find out i mean it's just not that way sometimes in these in these heels.
0: So that was something that was kind of a challenge for you. Again, you kind of came with a, a different notion, which actually we just did an episode with uh, uh, Chuck Sites uh, and, a, and a lot of other staff members for the uh, Alabama Game and Fish um, talking about some, some interesting topics. But uh, mm-hmm. we were talking about with them that Alabama actually has the second largest deer population uh, in the country behind Texas. Wow. And it's kind of interesting you say that. And I think a lot of people don't understand that, you know there are if if you come up here there are areas you can hunt that may have some have you know decent deer numbers uh but you know pretty having fairly high deer densities but you if you don't necessarily mm-hmm. know exactly what you're doing and you're kind of going to guess you could go physically you could seriously go a whole season with only seeing a couple deer if mm-hmm. that and i've heard i've heard that from many a people hunting both public and private land so uh that, there's definitely a challenge.
2: Um, Going back to Michael Perry's episode, one of the first things that really stuck out to me is uh, when he said don't hunt the big, pretty woods, because I go out to these public lands and I'll see these huge oak trees, you know, acorns all over the ground. It's, and the sign was there, you know, like you see good sign in these woods and you get excited and you like, man, there's, there's deer everywhere And here and you hunt for three or four days and you might see one deer out of this. And then he talked about how a lot of that in those big, open woods, those, uh on the ridges, a lot of that's nighttime uh, sign that they're coming out. And uh, that that's really where it kinda kicked off there is, is when I started changing my attention to other other parts of these WMAs.
0: Yeah, absolutely. That, that's a good point too. So, you know, I guess when you come from an area that didn't initially have that kinda of terrain, you get up here like, Oh man, this is the promised land, dude. I, we got we got oaks everywhere, dude. The sign's there, oh, we're gonna kill a deer and Uh, I'm guessing, did you throw, I mean, I'm guessing you probably threw some sits at those kind of areas. And I mean, I mean, did you have any kind of results from even like seeing deer in those areas?
2: Um, I was on cloud nine one evening when I saw about six does. I've been hunting for about (laughs) two weeks and I ain't seen the first deer. And, uh, finally one evening I saw about five or six deer and I was just through the roof. I was like, man, they actually have deer out here on this this piece of property.
0: (laughs) Well, let's talk a little bit more about this. So, you mentioned, uh, you know, Michael Perry's uh, episodes. I want to kind of get over to, of course, uh, one of my favorite questions in the podcast, which is asking, you know, what is, you know, some of these episodes or or some of these guests has been impactful for you, especially once you started listening to the podcast and especially with your move up here. Uh, I know you mentioned Michael Perry. Is is Michael Perry like one of your top guys that's just been the most impactful for you? He's
2: he's one of my favorites because actually um – when I first listened to the podcast you know, he actually said, you can message him on Facebook and stuff. And I did, I, I talked to him. I wasn't asking for any location. I was trying to, you know, like, what are you doing up here? Just trying to get some tactics just to maybe get some leads on some of these spots, you know, where to, how to hunt them, how to approach them. And he's, he's always been real nice and helpful. And, and, uh, he's, he's just one of my favorite guys, but, uh, some of the other ones, Jamie McKay, Tony Myers, West. I enjoy listening to of them. They're all from Alabama. Um, uh, one I'll mention that I feel like played a part into this year. I think he, he was on November, December is Warren Womack. Mm. He talked about the uh, flow areas and that really, that really helped me key in on some spots this season.
0: Well, this, let's talk a little bit more about that. Uh, so yeah, Warren was an interesting guy, especially you probably could relate with him just because of his heritage and living down, you know, in Louisiana and traveling, hunting in Mississippi and a bunch of other States like that too. Um, Let's maybe talk about, I'd like to maybe start with the kind of the flow area aspect of his episode and talking about these areas where you're not necessarily hunting defined trails, but you're kind of sitting back in an area. It's almost like an observation sit where these deer just like filtering mm-hmm. through a general area from one, from like one side to the other, one direction to the other direction. How was that impactful for you? I mean, did that kind of by itself open up any kind of you know uh doors for you of like maybe other possibilities or or seeing sign that now made a little bit more sense based off kind of hearing that term and and hearing what makes a flow area
2: so when I listened to his episode it wasn't it wasn't necessarily a learning um episode is more he just kind of confirmed what I think I'd been learning the past two or three seasons because – After I got away from the bigger pretty woods, I started, you know, looking in for these edges, uh, these pine plantations, four- or five-year-old cutovers, uh, pine thickets, uh, even 10- and 15-year-old pines where they're a little bit bigger. uh, Really on these edges was when I kind of started noticing more movement, and that led into eventually hunting, like, these creek bottoms. They go through these cutovers, uh, SMZs, all this kind of stuff that connects – Pretty much finding the who was it that said oh, the spot within the spot? I forgot which episode. Well,
0: Andrew, yeah. that's been Andrew saying for God knows how long. He calls it the spot within the spot. So uh, I yeah. don't, I don't know, I don't yeah. know who said before him, but I know that was that he's the one that's been preaching it for a long yeah.
2: time. hearing hearing that, and then, um, I forgot who talked about the interior edges. That really, that really played a part because once I would key in on these certain spots, then I would get into these spots, and I would find maybe even that. Smaller defined area, um, maybe the core area within those within those spots. Just getting closer in once you find the location, just keying in on where they're actually at in these these uh, areas.
0: So it's almost like you're looking at you know kind of big picture with your you're looking at your edges, your big edges. Uh, mm-hmm. You know pines to hardwoods, stuff like that, or cutovers to pines, cutover to hardwoods, whatever. Those big edges, and then looking at your SMZs that could be in that area, which you know maybe will form another edge. And kind of find all that, and then once you put boots on the ground, trying to find that that tight interior edge and, that again, that spot inside the spot to figure out how to set up Mm -hmm. on. Can you talk a little bit more about that progression? Especially, like, is that something that you started focusing on more this season? Or is that something that you might have been using a little bit last season and then try to, you know, perfect it this year?
2: So it was probably last season. Me and my dad were out there for a couple days, and we hunted for two or three good days. We hunted – we're still hunting – I was still hunting in some of the big woods, you know, but I was going a little bit further in there, finding edges, or just finding a little bit better spots, I guess you would say, maybe have some thicker cover on the ridges. We were still hunting the big woods, and we'd see a little bit more, but we still weren't seeing, like, a lot of movement. So one evening I told him I was like, I ain't scouting this spot, but it's thick. It was just a big cut over And uh, I told him I said, I'm just going to go try this because we're not seeing deer in these other areas. And every evening when we leave, we'd always see deer coming out of this one cutover crossing the road. So the next day I was like, I'm going to go sit on this cutover, just see anything. And I saw maybe 15 deer that one evening. And that's really when it kind of clicked. I was like, these deer are staying in this in this cutover in these pines just bedded down and they're coming out at night. And that's when it kind of clicked everything that I heard Mr. Perry talking about, about how they, they shift over to the big woods at night. So it's kind of finding that transition where they're going from, I guess, bedding and cover over to those big woods at nighttime. Yeah, pretty much last season, I guess when I, when I started making that progression.
0: So, well, so we talked a little bit about the flow areas that you know Warren Womack talked about, and he was you know he's a huge proponent of you know targeting these cutovers, these SMZs, finding those edges. But also, you'd mentioned Michael Perry. You know, what are some of those things that Michael Perry's talked about that maybe had either gave you a different perspective on something, or something that you picked up on that Michael Perry really either preaches or really discusses openly.
2: So he's he's mentioned it in his podcast before, um, but he's also mentioned it to me. You know when I've asked him um, some of these just about some of these spots. You know what to look for, and uh, I'm going back. He uh, he's talking a lot about these cutovers and and being above these steep drainages where there's creek bottoms, hardwoods, and he's he's talking about uh, kind of like the same. So along the same lines that Warren was going at these flow areas, where these you have your does bait down this cutover, but he's talking about how the thermals, these bucks will will catch these thermals in the mornings, and they'll they're not necessarily getting that cutover, but they'll come just where they can scent check, and uh, that's when I really started kind of keying in on these cutovers and the SMZs, is not necessarily finding where they're at in cutovers, but getting just on that edge, and finding finding that flow area where they travel at, and where they're cutting. They're cutting across these creek bottoms. Uh, I listened to his other episode last time about finding creek crossings, and I noticed they're doing that too when you find all these timber tracks that run in between two or three cutovers. They'll they'll use those to get from point A to point B going from different cutovers is what I found.
0: Yeah, that's kind of interesting perspective, and I guess it makes a lot of sense when you sit back and think about it, which I haven't thought about that way, but when Michael Perry talks about these uh, creek drainages and and these creek crossings, a lot of times he's not he's not on the creek hunting. He is mm-hmm. two three hundred yards up above the creek, you know, on the mm-hmm. side of a ridge hunting them when those trails kind of come back together. Which again would almost pretty much be the definition of a flow area. Like yeah, there is a defined point down low or, or a region of this creek they're crossing at. But once they come up this ridge, they're going to come to a you know a general area that I should have an opportunity at. And again that w- that would be a flow area. So that is super interesting. I never thought about it that way, but that's a good way to look at it.
2: And another. Another way I look at these cutovers too is if some of them will back up to a really steep bluff, uh, I'll actually go out on these bluffs and I'll walk the whole thing uh, just circling that bluff, finding where they're actually crossing that. Because I found a lot of these bluffs, they only got one or two spots where they can actually travel up or down or go into these bottoms. That, and if you can find those, those spots leading into those creeks or coming from the cutover, it's almost like a natural funnel. Um, calling that spot within the spot they talk about just, just finding the path of least resistance where I can get down these bluffs uh, after to get up from bed.
0: So let's. Talk, I want to talk a little bit more about like kind of in the field, use. So again, there's a lot of things that you picked from Michael Perry, and also uh, you know like the flow area, and probably some of the different thoughts of uh, Warren Womack. You know, when it comes to like you targeting these different areas and, and quickly learning over the last couple of years of, again, where maybe the their deer sign might be in one area. But if I'm truly going to kill that deer, I got to be in a totally different area, closer closer to that transitional edge or that bedding cover, that spot within that spot to have success. I mean, first off, when you started kind of implementing this, some of this stuff last year, did y'all have much success last year trying to change this stuff up and come from a different perspective and a different kind of style of this style of hunting?
2: So after that hunt, I was telling you about my dad when, I, when, I, when it kind of clicked with me that this is where the deer's at, pretty much for the rest of the season – almost erased almost every pin I had on my phone, on my maps. And um, I started keying in on – I was looking for cutovers. I was looking for pines. And then once I'd find that, then I would I would try and find, you know, these S&Zs or these timber tracks that run through that stuff because I figure that's that's how they're traveling through there because you'll see them in the cutover. But most of the time when I would see them up and actually moving, it would be on these edges uh, actually within the S&Z itself. I never – I never really see them in the bottoms. They'll always be kind of on that, just that edge where they can get off in a cutover if they have to. But they'll, they'll travel the edges of that. And that's that's what we keyed in on last year. And one hunt last year that stuck out to me is, is about peak rut. And uh, i just been seeing a lot of deer funnel through this area. And I knew it was a rut. And I was like, if I sit here long enough, I'll end up seeing one. And I actually saw two good bucks um, in this one cutover last year but I actually wasn't high enough in the tree as I thought I was. And they came through that cutover, and I just couldn't get a shot um, for anything. That It was just right over their back. All you could see was really their antlers cutting through this stuff. I was like, i got to be a lot higher than what I am. Right here, if I'm going to be able to see down in these cutovers. Uh, so after the season of last year, that kind of stuck in my mind and gave me some ideas for what I was going to do this season. And I changed a little bit this year, but not much. Uh then once I heard Warren's episode, that that really kind of clicked with me, and that's when I started seeing just a, a lot of deer this season.
0: Oh, so really, it was not. I mean, Michael Perry was a big impact, but it really you said it wasn't really until the Warren Womack episode came out that kind of confirmed some of the things that you've been thinking that gave you more confidence to go mm-hmm. in there.
2: Yeah, Mister Perry, he 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 got me starting in the right direction, and, and I I implemented a lot of what he was telling me, and uh, that kind of. Gave me my own guesses about the area that I was hunting in, and um, Warren's episode just kind of confirmed everything that that I had added up from last season. And I started implementing that. This season was actually pretty slow. I, I didn't even go out during bow season, which is very unusual for me, just because of work. So my season really didn't get started this year until about December when I heard his episode. So that, his episode really fired me up because I've been waiting all year to use last year's notes that I had taken, and. Um, December is about when I started this year.
0: Yeah, yeah. And that's the cool thing about Alabama. You know, some of these states have this November rut. You know, if, especially if you're trying to target the rut. You know, you know, mm-hmm. you'd be kind of you know, sol in, in that situation. Uh, We're down here. You know, we have such a long season and, and a pretty generous rut, especially if you're willing to travel a little bit. I mean, it's just now getting good in a lot of places in December. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, let's get over. I want to shift over to this year. So we, we've talked about again, Mr. Perry. And Warren Womack, both being big, uh, you know, two impactful uh, guests that we've had on the show. I know Warren's been on the one time. Mr. Perry's been on. I mean, more times than I can count. I have to go back and look at all the episodes. But getting into this season, you said there there might have been a couple things you kind of adjusted, but there wasn't a whole bunch of stuff that you changed. You know, what was happening when you first got out there in, in December? Again, what's the game plan? Just like what we talked about. You know, how are you breaking stuff down and implementing some of these things that you've been. You know, not only necessarily learning, but also you confirmed uh, by some of these different guests we've had on the show.
2: So last year I really thought um, that they were in the cutover, which, which they are, but it wasn't that spot fitting spot. So this year I made the adjustment uh, from what I realized last year was sticking close to these SMZs just on the edges of these pines or edges of these cutovers. And that's what I really focused on this year. Um, I, I can't remember which listener it was. It was just it wasn't even a whole episode on. He just briefly mentioned, you know, hunting the downwind side of um, these bedding areas, which i probably had quite a few guests talk about that. But um, that's what I started doing. I started hunting these these cutovers. I would get on the downwind side of them, and I would, I would hunt it almost a crosswind uh, where I would expect these bucks to be. Because last year I didn't see a lot of bucks out in the cutover unless they're actually chasing. Other than that, I wouldn't really see them hanging out there. Um, I know so they would travel on the edges. So this year I would. Instead of hunting actual cutover, I would actually almost keep my back to the cutover and I'll be facing into these bottoms, these SMZs, uh, with the game plan of catching one, coming on crosswind, just scent checking these cutovers.
1: When you think turkey calls... Think of Houndstooth. Houndstooth Game Calls is a company based right here in Alabama, actually based out of Tuscaloosa, and they have been making some of our favorite turkey calls since 2012. Y'all head on over to their website, see what they got. They got a little something for everybody. They have a huge selection of different mouth calls, different cuts, different read configuration. I like to go on there and get five or six different mouth calls and just run them, see which ones I like the most. You know, some days I might like the KB hen, some days I might like the ghost cut. Some situations I might like the country girl call. you know, that I can cut on really hard where on other situations, I might like the all pro that I can get a little bit softer on. Bottom line, there's something for everybody and something for every situation. And hey, you can get 15% off of your order at Houndstooth Game Calls by using the promo code SOP24. That's SOP24. Use that promo code. It'll get you a discount and it helps out the podcast.
0: Inch, okay, very cool, very cool. All right, so let, let's get through the let's kind of go through the progression of this season for you. So in December you started hunting, you know, same kind of gameplay. Kind of walk us through because I know you said you had a pretty interesting hunt early in December um, that I think we'll talk about where you kind of implemented some of these different, you know, tactics and strategies that you've been trying to implement and and had. Mm-hmm. You can say you had You know, it's it's success. It's just. Maybe not the outcome we all would, would hope for, but let's kind of yeah. hash through and, and figure out and kind of explain with the listeners of kind of how that season progressed for you.
2: So once I kind of started getting all this figured out um, and get my game plan for this year, um, there's actually a public land just north of I me. Mean, uh, I never I never hunted it. I'm, I've hunted close to it, but I knew it was there. I never hunted it before. And one of my friends that actually, he was hunting out there that week, and I was like, so I might come out and try it. So I got on my map. I love, I'll spend hours. Looking at maps, just I love them. And, uh, so I got on my map that Thursday night, and I was laying in bed just looking uh, at different spots and same game plan. And I checked the wind; what it was supposed to be Saturday, uh, hoping it'd be consistent. And I found a good looking cutover. You can tell from the map is a couple of years old. So I was like, "Well, I'll just I'll slip in here Saturday and uh, and just hunt the back end of this cutover." And that's when it pretty pretty well quick with me about the flow area because I sat there that Saturday on a piece of public land that I've I never even been to before. And I probably saw almost 20, almost 20 deer that Saturday. And, uh, they were all coming just, just through that Z on the backside of that cutover. And it's almost what he was describing, just that flow area where, where they're traveling through. And, um, uh, so I went back that Sunday morning and I was fired up. I was like, man, I'm going to see a lot of deer again. i get, I get in there, and I didn't see the first deer that Sunday um, until about lunchtime. I I hadn't seen the first deer that morning at about 11.45. That's another thing I didn't mention. Uh, My adjustment this year I made was hunting through midday. Uh, I've just noticed a lot of deer moving at midday in the years past, and I was like, I'm just going to hunt midday this year. And I hadn't seen the first deer that Sunday morning, and right at about 11.45, I had a good buck come through. And he was doing exactly what I thought he was going to be doing. He come in. It uh, was a north wind and it was blowing down into that bottom. And he was he was working it with a crosswind. It was, it was cutting him on a crosswind. And he was just sitting checking that cut over. Um, and he came in to about 100 yards. And right before I knew he was about to catch my, my wind, because I figured it was, the way my wind was blowing on that crosswind, I figured it was going to be blowing down into that bottom and probably carrying back his way. So I knew the shot would probably be pretty fast. So I stopped him. Um, put a good shot on him. I thought at the time he ran about a hundred yards off and I was like, he's probably gonna die. Well, I get up there. I couldn't find blood anywhere. I was like, I know I hit this deer. So I, I grid searched that whole ridge. Uh, finally found some decent blood and I backed out. Um, I was, like, I was like, that's not good. Cause if I made a good shot on him, I figured he would have been at the top of that ridge and he wasn't. So I backed out, caught a dog in. Uh, we blood trailed him probably almost till midnight when they were caught up with him. And I went back that Monday and, uh, with my own dog and we, we made about three or four miles just grid searching that, that whole area. It wasn't a very big area, but we walked three or four miles total, just grid searching, looking for that deer. And uh, I actually came up on him. He was still bedded down. And, uh, I thought he was dead. And we walked up, got about 15 yards from him. He bounded off. Um, out of there, which for anybody doesn't know, most of the public land up here, Monday's not a rifle day. You'll have your, your Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday rifle. That's why I didn't have a weapon with me that Monday looking for him. But he ended up getting away. Uh, we did what we could on him. Like I said, it's not the outcome we want, but it, in a way it made me still feel good uh, that he followed the game plan that I thought he was going to.
1: mm mm-hmm. um, I really hate. I really hate that I didn't get them.
2: Uh, I never like to injure a deer and not find them. I, or will really just get a miss on them and know they're going to live. Uh, but I took that away. And I felt. I felt good about what I learned on that because he. He did exactly what I. What I thought he was going to do. Uh, y'all. Y'all have the phrase hanging hope or, you know, hunting hope, and that's kind of what I've been doing the past couple of years on public land, just finding a good area and just hoping I see a deer, but. This year I was going out more intentionally. You know, I had a game plan. I was going to stick to it. And that was probably second or third hunt I made with a game plan. And he followed it to a T, and I just didn't do my part you know, killing. But it did make me feel good that, you know, I'm starting to learn and make those adjustments.
0: Yeah, well, I want to talk about that for a little bit. That's, uh, that is that is something that's kind of, I guess, the eye-opening aspect for anybody is when you you figure out a game plan of something that you're wanting to do, and it's something that's new to you. Again, like what we're talking about here, like this is something that's fairly new to you, what you're talking about. Again, trying to catch those deer coming down those edges along those covers where they're kind of walking uh, with that crosswind of that wind coming out of that cut and they're trying to scent check as they're going around the edge of it in these SMZs. And mm-hmm. and it all sounds great and dandy when you hear a guest talk about, it. like, oh man, well, this it works for the guests. When you go out there, a lot of times, the first hundred two, you're like, you start second guessing, like, oh, this ain't working, like, especially if you're not seeing anything, mm-hmm. or you're not seeing the kind of the, the bucks you might would expect. But when the time's right and you put your time and effort into it, when it finally pays off, you're like, oh my gosh, okay, this is the aha moment. Yeah. Like this is like legit. Like they are doing what it's I thought a, they were going to be doing. It to me, it's
2: definitely a confidence booster.
0: That's what I was going to say. Boosts that confidence, man. Gives you that lights that little bit of a, a fire and re sparks that ember. That kind of keep it burning and like, hey, I, I am doing what I should be doing, and you don't have to second guess. But I'll say this: you could go another four or five hunts and not see a deer like that, or not yeah. see the kind. And you're like, and well, maybe maybe it was a one time thing, but it, it's like you got to keep that fire going, and that's it, that's really cool how you were able to put that together and and have that experience. Where like he did exactly what you were expecting a, a good mature buck to do.
2: And that's what that's what Mr. Perry was talking about in his episode. What got me first time I listened to him, he said he'll go four or five hunts all day sits and not see a single deer sometimes but then on that fifth day just a good one will show up and just just hanging in there and having the confidence that you pick the right spot that you know what you're doing Um, just hunting that area and not not jumping around too much
0: oh absolutely dude i mean it's kind of the thing that we all kind of you know hope for you know i think everybody there's so many what i love about deer hunting especially doing this podcast is like there's so many different ways to be successful and, and kill good deer Okay, whether you're on public land, private land, it doesn't matter. There's so many different ways to do it. But everybody that does it and has their way of doing it, they've got confidence because they've been doing it for ever how long. Mm -hmm. It's different when you're coming into especially like, say, like you, you just moved up here a couple years ago from an area that's totally different habitat and terrain to what you're dealing with now in Alabama. And you're trying to take what someone's saying and also like your own kind of understanding of what you're assuming the deer are going to be doing. And you're like, I think this is going to work. I hope this is gonna work. Let's make this work, and, and it finally pays off. That, that's like that's the real cool mm-hmm. aspect about this. I think. So, kind of getting over. I wanted to kind of transition. So that so that happens. You jump the buck. Which, by the way, did you see when you're walking up to him before he jumped up? Did you like you had eyes on him?
2: I I me and my dog had come over the top of a ridge because um, that's kind of what I did. I broke down an area where I knew uh, the night before. The dog I called out there, uh, which they did a great job. It wasn't that dog's fault we didn't find them. the deer. Is still alive, and um, he made the right call pulling the dog off. He said the deer's is probably still alive. Let's give him until uh, tomorrow. So I was going to come back out tomorrow with well, the the hill. I worked my way from where I shot him uh, to where the dog had got, where we ended the track at the night before. Uh, but I uh, I broke down the map. I went down every drainage, every bottom. I mean, I went down every ridge in that area until I got back to that spot uh, where the dog had left off the night before. And we went up one ridge, and as soon as I topped that ridge, I looked down. Uh, it was pretty much like a drainage going down into a bottom. And I looked, and I seen a deer laying there. I was like, I think that's a that deer. So I looked through my binos, and uh, I seen it as a good buck. I was like, I was, I was like that's gotta be him. And he was, he was actually on his side. Um, I think he had bedded down the night before, so. It's probably good we didn't go up there a night before. Um, if he would have been dead, it would have been good. But we come over to the top, and I was like, oh, he's dead. He's he's bedded down there. He's on his side. And I went run down the hill, and we got maybe six yards from him. He jumped up, bolted out of there. Um, he bedded back down again, which the first bed had just a speck of blood in it. You know? So like, I'm going to give him about a, two or three hours, come back later on this evening and see if maybe he died in that second bed. So he's back in there again. And uh, I actually had my bow with me that time in case I'd get close to him again. And uh, I get about 70 yards from where I thought he was. He bolts out of there again. And I went and check that bed. It didn't have any blood in it. So I was like, I was like oh, I'm just going to hope for the best. And He should live if he's made it over 24 hours. Um, so far, I ain't got no – I haven't had any pictures of him. Uh, but we checked that area pretty regularly, probably for a week and a half afterwards, and we never saw any buzzards or anything like that. So – I'm hoping he's still alive. Uh, I feel good, pretty confident that he lived. I don't think he died. So that's that's one good outcome of it, I guess.
0: Yeah, real quick, uh, after just like replaying the shot and also kind of like seeing the deer jump up, you know, twice, could you tell where you actually hit the deer at?
2: I actually couldn't. Um, It was a hard quartering shot, and it was downward, so I'm thinking it might have came out. The bottom of his chest cavity is why I couldn't uh, see.
0: Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah. Almost uh, like a- when
2: he was running because I I couldn't see nothing on his sides or in his front. So I'm thinking it was a hard quarter and a way shot. And I think I went in through the uh, the back of the ribs. I think I only caught one lung. Is what happened because we found we found a pretty good bit of lung blood. That's why that's why I was pretty sure we were going to find him. I was like, this deer's dead for sure, and uh, he ended up not. So I'm hoping if I did clip one lung. I've read several stories that they do, they 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 can live off of warm lungs. So I'm hoping that's the case yeah. that he that he recovered from that shot.
0: Well, kind of moving over, so you had that whole experience with that deer, and again, <laughs> it kind of gave you more confidence of what you were doing, working, especially on, on a quality buck. What kind of progressed, like, later on, like your next few hunts all the way up to this point of you killing this deer in, in mid-January?
2: So the next couple of hunts, I just kept pretty much chasing the rut in this part of, Alabama just hopping a different uh, my public land spots that I hunt up here uh, pretty much doing the same thing hunting cutovers finding these big spots hunting the downwind and pretty much every hunt I, uh, I saw deer pretty much every hunt every other hunt I'd see pretty decent bucks just just nothing I was wanting to really shoot this year uh, I was just kind of just going after a couple different ones and I I thought it was more successful this year actually seeing more deer. I didn't really shoot a lot this year. I was just hunting, just making game plans, and I just like seeing that success as um, just making sure my game plans are working. I really like that part of it this year, just kind of doing that.
0: Yeah, well, so again, you kind of, kind of, keep rep- or keep chasing the rut, which is also fun. By the way, when you were in Louisiana, was there any opportunity, quote-unquote, to chase the rut down there, or was it pretty much like you had your window, time and, and that was that?
2: Man, I'm not going to lie. In Louisiana, I maybe in my whole life hunting down there, which I'm I'm young, I'm only 23, hunting down there my whole life, I maybe saw a buck chase a day one time in the entire period. Um, the rut definitely happens down there. It's, it's definitely not as defined as it is up here. Uh, I mean, there are areas in Louisiana where where rut's really good, but being in South Louisiana where I was at, is you're very lucky to see it to see it go down there in the day. Uh, it's just not as defined mm-hmm. in my experience as it is up here.
0: Yeah. Well. So we kind of keep on hashing this out. So, kind of, you go through a few more hunts, kind of going through, chasing the rut in the whole nine yards. So, what was kind of the lead up to the hunt where you killed this buck?
2: So, last year, uh, going back, referring back to last year, I kind of had a good idea of when the rut was actually going to be going down in this area. So, uh, I planned to take off that whole week uh, just to be out there and have a better chance of, of getting one. It was pretty much all week I've been waiting for all hunt season because I knew it was going to be good. I'm, had a game plan. I knew the areas I wanted to hunt. And uh, it actually started out snowing that Sunday, which was pretty cool. And uh, one thing I learned, I don't know how it is real all are in Alabama, but up here I've come to the conclusion that deer do not like snow. Uh, I hunted last year in snow and I hunted this year in the snow, and I did not hardly see the first deer. I, I figured I would have seen just a whole herd of deer in the snow, but I did not. I don't know if I just don't like snow up here or what. Um, but that Monday was good. Um, it actually stopped snowing that evening. Everything was iced over and, and Monday's when I really started seeing a good bit of deer that week.
0: Yeah. The whole idea of like hunting the snow, it sounds great. And you hear all these people, you know, even on the podcast talking about like, oh, cutting tracks in the snow. Oh man, it's great. Cause you can learn so much in some of these other States. But it's like down here, at least specifically in Alabama, when it snows, those deer just, they lock down. They don't do much of anything during that time period just because it's not on the ground very long and they're not really necessarily forced to go feed. Uh, so that, that's been my experience. I'm, I'm kind of, you know, glad to see that's also your experience too, hunting up there. So, you know, kind of transitioning after hunting that snow and everything, getting up to this hunt, you know, the day of the hunt, you said you had an idea based off, you know, past experience uh, in an area of like kind of how the rut would play out. And it kind of gave you an idea of how you wanted to move into the area. So, you know, what did that look like? I mean, is this an area that you killed this buck in? Did you have history with this, like, specific spot or specific general area, or is it something that you're going in based off the maps and based off, you know, possibly what the deer were going to be doing based off the weather and wind conditions?
2: So, the spot that I'd actually killed him in, uh, I'd hunted it once last year, and it's it's a really good spot. It's set up, it's probably seven, eight-year-old pines. I mean, they're. They're above your head, uh, but in certain spots, if you can get on the right side of the ridge, you can almost watch the next ridge over from you and there's openings in between these pine trees where you can definitely shoot uh, the sage grass. that's maybe uh, waist high. So you can, you can watch the opposite ridge over from you. And still have pretty good openings, uh, but it's really thick. Um, and it, it's going down into SMZ. And that's, that's kind of where I had an idea. Uh, where I was going to hunt at some point that week, but I didn't go there till that evening. I'd actually hunted a different spot that morning, and I had every intention of staying in there all day um, on that old spot. I had gotten out of there at probably four o'clock that morning. I was set up in a tree by five, five fifteen, and um, I just wasn't seeing deer. And a lot of times, I'll, I'll have a good feeling about an area, and uh, I can stick it out all day if I if I think I'm going to see deer, but it just, I wasn't seeing much, and I was, about lunchtime, I was getting kind of antsy in the trail. I was like, I think I might go try another spot this evening, which I, I rarely do. I don't like hopping around too much, especially midday during the rut, because that's usually when most of your bucks are up and cruising. Uh, but I made the decision. I climbed down. Uh, for one, I was freezing the wind. We had, like, 25-mile-an-hour winds, and it was, like, 20, 25 degrees a day. Man, it was freezing. And I had about as much as wind as I could take. So I got down about lunch. when uh, We got warmed up. Uh, went out about an hour later to this other spot, and I was just going to work my way into it that evening. Uh, same setup I was going to set up with it, hunting a crosswind on the back pine thicket, going down on this SMZ for the evening. And, uh, it was the only spot I had been to, like I said, maybe a time or two before, but same game plan, same tactics. Uh, and on my way in that evening, I had, I was getting ready to set up, I uh, had my climber and everything. I was getting ready to set up in a tree, and I could see moving on that other ridge over from it. I guess whenever I was hooking my climber up to the tree, uh, a doe would spotted me. And that's that's one thing I didn't mention, too. I don't like hunting these cutovers uh, unless I can get there early in the morning and be able to get set up and climbed up in the dark. So I just feel like setting up during the day or midday, they, if they're already bedded in there, they have a better chance of seeing you, and know, I just I – hate, I hate climbing these cutovers during the day because I feel like they can see you better. Uh, but I did it anyway, and sure enough, when I was getting ready to climb, Doe jumps up. I hear her. She takes off running. I'm like, man, I'm going them out of here. <laughs> and, uh, so I'm just sitting there watching her, and she runs up to the top of this ridge, and uh, she just stops. And they're probably about 100, 120 yards from me, and I'm just watching her. And probably about 15 seconds later, while I was getting set up, I'm, I'm sitting here watching this. This day and I seen an old deer stand up and it was that big six point. He, he I guess he had a lockdown down in this cutover and they just made their way up that ridge. They knew something was there. I guess I would uh, clank some metal together. They just saw me or heard me or whatever. But he didn't. He didn't really get spooked as much as she did. She she had ran first and uh, he 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 followed behind her about 15 seconds later. And I actually took a less than ideal shot than what I like, but being there in the rut and having a rifle, I took it as Hard quartering away shot, and I still made a great shot. him, and he dropped right there um, on the side of that ridge. Went in through the, through the back of the ribs and, and uh, actually never exited, but it, it, it dropped him pretty fast right there. And that's, that's pretty much what I've been doing all season is just getting on these cutovers and trying to hunt the downwind side and you know, just catching these bucks cruising.
0: Dude, that's that's I love that stuff, dude. That like see hunts like that get me fired up like, hunting those cutovers like that during the rut, like you don't know what's in there, man. Uh, especially when you're doing like a three, four year old cutover where like you can't really see mm-hmm. super great on the ground, but if you get elevated, you can kind of see down into that edge and, and wash that edge and watch out into it a little bit. Man, it's mm-hmm. you know, I, I've killed two bucks in the last two years in areas just like that. Um, that are you know like one last year locked down with the doe this one this year he was bumping a doe but he wasn't necessarily locked down he was just checking her out um mm-hmm. and then the other yeah it's you know it's that is exciting which brings up it brings up the this is my the million dollar question here you hunted louisiana your whole life and you move up here to alabama now based off having some experience up here and have some success which style do you like hunting better? I mean, do you like hunting up here more than like what you dealt with back in Louisiana, um, or do you, do you still kind of like the Louisiana style of everything you used to do?
2: Uh, now that I've learned to hunt this terrain, and I'm starting to figure, out, I actually like it better. Uh, it's more of a challenge, and that's that's another reason I love public land. I just love the challenge of it. I love getting out there, um, just chasing these whitetails up here, and anything that can throw in a challenge to it, I'll. I, I love hunting up here. Uh, every now and then it's nice to, to go back to Louisiana. I hunted down there a couple times this year for, for the holidays, but I couldn't wait to get back up here and just figure out these ridges because it's all new. Uh, just the challenge of trying to learn and figure them out. I feel like it's a game or a puzzle sometimes just just trying to put all the pieces together. And when it all comes together, it really does. You know, you put your work in between scouting and walking hundreds of miles on these, these public land areas and these ridges and, Pretty much the challenge is what keeps me going up here.
0: Absolutely. Well, dude, that's awesome. Well, I'm glad you were able to have success and and kind of start putting it all together. Because, I mean, dude, at your age, especially if you stick around in Alabama for any length of time, you'll start having even more success the more and more you build upon. it, It's just like any of these guys, like Michael Perry or any of these guys we've interviewed. You know, they're at their point of their career now that they've had that success and they're now kind of sharing their knowledge. You know a lot of us are still trying to grow we're still trying to figure out you know how can we become more successful to be like some of those guys that has that tremendous amount of success and I mean you're on that right path I mean you're clearly learning and you're not you're not coming at it from like a someone like myself which this has been my issue you come from like a you know um uh, almost like you're hard-headed like man like you know I, you know I heard people talk about this but I'm gonna try to do it my own way and blah 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 and when you start taking things into consideration and you go out there and you truly execute them and you don't just half-ass it, you truly go in and you execute it, it's it's really amazing how you know these different styles and techniques can really come to you know help you be successful. And just like today, you know today we're recording this on the last day of Alabama season. The season has just now ended. Uh, in alabama and it's like now we can look forward to this coming deer season and and things that we've learned to then reapply for this coming year and see you know what possibilities are there for us for any kind of success so uh ben i I definitely think you're on the right path for that brother and uh just to kind of wrap up this episode is there anything uh else you wanted to discuss talk about or uh any other pieces of advice to any other listeners you may leave on how to you know go out and implement some of these things that they've heard on the podcast themselves
2: uh just I, I tell anybody, I tell everybody about y'all's podcasts. Uh, find two or three of these these podcasts that you feel like you can relate to, and and listen to them. And don't don't just listen to them once. I listen uh, episode one thirty nine. I've probably listened to that episode probably ten or fifteen times. Just and I learned something new off of each one uh, that I didn't catch before. And just don't just listen to it, but actually go out there and figure out how you can apply it. Uh, cause at first that's what I was doing. I would listen to the episodes and I'd still go out there and I would do, keep doing what I was already doing before with the knowledge from the podcast, but I was still just trying to hunt my own way. But then I was like, I knew, I knew It's like that day I was, I was talking about with my dad last year. I was like, I was like, I'm just going to try something totally different. I've never even hunted this spot. I'm just going to go set up on this. Cause just, it can be something as simple as that. Just for me, it was, it was going the exact opposite of what I was doing before and, And just after that, all the pieces just start falling together after I made that that change.
0: Absolutely. Well, perfect. Well, awesome, Ben. Well, listen, uh, appreciate you coming on, sharing your story. And for all the other listeners out there, you know, if you're like Ben and you have success using something that you've learned from one of the guests on the show, um, you know, shoot us a message. I know, Ben, you reached out to us on Instagram. Of course, guys, you can reach out to us on Instagram, Facebook, or on our contact page on our website um and let us know and again like to have you on for a future episode uh for the southern outdoorsman listener success story and ben all i can say is man again congratulations on on a, on a great season um uh, i know you know probably wish you could have you know got that deer back in december but now you got new goals for this coming year and uh, i'm very excited to kind of see how 2023 plays out for you
2: absolutely i appreciate y'all having me on the show i'm, I'm a huge fan i love every episodes y'all put out there and I tell everybody, nobody's doing what y'all are doing with these podcasts. So I definitely appreciate that.
0: Thanks again, everybody, for tuning in to another episode of the Southern Outdoorsman. And thank you to Blackberry Smoke for the music for the podcast. Also, to follow along with us, make sure you check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. And if you'd like to support the show, you can go to patreon.com forward slash the Southern Outdoorsman. Until next time, y'all stay Southern.
1: Y'all go ahead and write down the dates, June 28th through June the 30th. Go ahead and just mark those off your calendar so you can be at the Dalton Convention Center in Dalton, Georgia for the 2024 Mobile Hunters Expo. Y'all heard a, a ton of content from that expo last year that we posted. Uh, we talked about it a ton. Look, if you're the kind of person that listens to this podcast, this show was literally made for you. It was literally designed for for you, which means you're gonna love it. You know, all the best companies in mobile hunting are gonna be there. A lot of the best deer killers in the southeast are gonna be there. A lot of our past podcast guests are gonna be there. It's just it's gonna be an incredible event. And hey, if you've been looking to either get into a saddle or maybe a mobile lock-on setup or just a different kind of tree stand setup, I'm telling you it's worth the investment to go to this show because they're all gonna be there and you you will get to try all of them in person before you buy it. So you don't have to order something online and then wait for it and then try it when it comes in to see if you're really like it, you're going to get to go put your hands on everything all in one day, test it all out and figure out exactly what works best for you and have it taken care of before deer season starts. So like I said, go ahead and put it on your calendar, guys. It's a no brainer. You got to be at the show. Again, it's Friday, June 28th through Sunday, June 30th in Dalton, Georgia. We absolutely cannot wait to meet you guys there and talk hunting. So we'll see you at the 2024 Mobile Hunters Expo in Dalton, Georgia.